the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Today's one of those and more kind of angles. Joining me today is chef, owner of saint Savi. And it's kind of funny because I'm clearly putting an accent on it that I shouldn't. You said sent Sovi. Well, I don't know. It's ancient Catalonian, so we can potato, potato, I guess. Um, I'm from ancient Catalonia, so it's actually sent Oh, well, okay. Just, you know, and it is potato as well. Good, I'm, good I'm, to know. I'm the one with all the knowledge. <laughs> so it's Josiah Sloan, right? That's me. Chef, owner. That's me. How do you become a chef? What's the title? Is, how do you get a title of chef? Well, I mean, you start off as a cook. Okay. Um, so, you know, I worked my way up through through kitchens, working for some good chefs, and uh, kind of did it like that. You didn't go to the San Francisco Culinary School of Art? No, I went to I went to UCLA and studied electrical engineering. Really? Yeah. And did you ever apply that electrical engineering degree? Um yeah, I've, I've been actually I've, I've done some consulting in tech related to food and some software stuff uh, over the last few years. So tell us a little bit about, about the restaurant that you run and that you chef for. Yeah, so we're up we're up in uh, the foot you know in Saratoga, which is the foothills of the Santa Cruz Mountains, uh, one of the most highly underrated wine growing regions in California. But uh, uh, we you know we're a fine dining California French restaurant about 13 tables in our main dining room and we have a little lounge in the back um, which serves a more casual menu um, you know we're kind of three course four course uh, tasting menu type of place. With that said, you said 13 tables. How do you stay in business with 13 tables? Because don't you need the volume, volume, volume? No, volume, volume, volume is good and I mean it's tough uh, on the scale we are to uh, stay viable. I mean I've been there 11 years so. Um, you know, there's definitely easier ways to make a living. Um, you know, having a restaurant has two or three or four times as many tables. Um, you know, a lot of your fixed expenses kind of remain the same. So, okay. So, a couple things. Um, I got to know you a couple years ago. Um, my very best friend on the planet was like, um, took me to Saratoga, and she's like, "Oh yeah, one time I ran into Steve Jobs at that restaurant over there, which is kitty quartered to yours." Um, oh, and there's one time I met blah, blah, blah here. Like, Saratoga is a jewel. Um, as far as the Bay Area goes, it's probably the most desirable city for celebrities and for wealth. 
people like Steve Jobs would would seek out restaurants like yours because it's 13 tables. Exactly. Well, I, I think one of the interesting things to um, consider about Saratoga is, is how, you know, we're kind of right off Highway 85 and Deans or Highway 85 and uh, Saratoga Avenue. But prior, you know, I grew up in the Bay Area, and prior to 1995 or 1996, 85 ended at 280. So to get to Saratoga, you either had to drive to Los Gatos and then drive over Highway 9. Or you had to get off at um, 280 in De and drive through, you know, eight miles of stoplights to get to Saratoga. So Saratoga is one of those um, towns is sort of one of the last sort of small towns of, of the Bay Area, um, or at least of Silicon Valley, you know. For those of us who live in the Bay Area, it is a vacation. It's lovely. It's it's a very European kind of feel to it. And I'm not going to say all the restaurants are good because I don't know that to be true, but since of a um, one of the best on the planet. And, again, I tip my hat to you because for me to rave and gush, it's, it's few and far between. Well, thanks. That's 130% true. So when I came to the East uh, when I came to the West Coast from the East Coast, I'm a New Yorker, Washingtonian kind of guy and money kind of guy, um, I tried to explain restaurant investing in restaurants, and it never worked well because – I would say, oh, yeah, there's a company called P.F. Chang's, and they're growing very fast, and Wall Street's in love with the growth. And people in California would look at me like, that's crazy. And I was like, there's a company called Cheesecake Factory. The portions are super huge. They've got 200 things on their menu, and people would look like, they, they look at me like I'm crazy because the rest of the country is fascinated with chain restaurants, but the Bay Area rewards local restaurants. Um, and I think the Bay Area is onto something. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think if you, if you look at... Um you know, the Bay Area is sort of the birthplace of, um, you know, in, in New York also, but, you know, of, you know, great cuisine in America. Um, you know, Europeans have been, you know, doing it for decades and centuries and, uh, you know, really uh, kind of in the, you know, 60s and 70s and 80s, uh, American cuisine came to prominence. And uh, the Bay Area in particular had a large, uh, large part of that. When I was in New York, um, I, I described the difference between New York and the Bay Area, and, and even L.A. has got a great restaurant scene on some levels. Um, but New York chefs, they can go into the dumpster and pull stuff out and put it together, and it's a great meal. California's got a, a, an advantage. We've got fresh food. We've got fresh fruit. We've got fresh fish. We've got everything, you know, easily accessible. Um, does that make being a restaurateur a little bit um, – do you have an advantage because of all the freshness and organic stuff here? Well, absolutely. I mean, we, uh, my chef de cuisine and myself, uh, you know, we hit we hit the farmers market every week. We deal directly with the growers. Um, you know, even outside of of just going to the farmers market, um, you know, there's great purveyors in California that are in in the Bay Area that deal with those same farmers. Um, so yeah, the access to product is is fantastic. I worked in the Caribbean for a year and a half, and, uh, you know, that was the same sort of situation. I had been working in L.A. prior to that. And in L.A., the chefs I was working for, it was very technique-driven, kind of old school, so probably in the 90s um, that was kind of what was going on in Los Angeles. It wasn't – Los Angeles was not a great food city in, the, in those days, but, you know, everything came off the Cisco truck or whatever. Um, Cisco, great investment. Now, here's where you and I are different. Cisco owns the food delivery business yeah. across America. They are the monopoly. They own 85% of the deliveries. Um, to cafeterias, not to restaurants, but to cafeterias, to prisons, to cafeterias, to low-end restaurants, to mid-end restaurants. Um, Cisco, S-Y-S-C-O, 
um, they basically bought all their competition, and that's it's almost scary as an investment goes. It's it's a pretty amazing company. I've uh, looked into it. Um, the, the the interesting thing about Cisco is they deliver everything from things that go into um, prisons to everything that uh, you know, even to some high end product. But um, you know, and if you're in the middle of the country or the middle, you know, where there's not access to all these smaller purveyors, it's a great thing. With that said, I'm not. A, asking you to agree with me on Cisco or anything like that. Actually, I like the other Cisco, not Cisco Systems with John Chambers and Network and Equipment, but the guy who sang the, the thong song. Oh, yes. Do you remember thong, 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 song? Yeah, I was, I, was working, I was working in Jamaica then. I remember going up to Miami and that was playing everywhere. <laughs> That's embarrassing. I'm just saying. It's, I know. It's embarrassing for our nation that that ever became a hit song and that you actually had to expose your ears to that. Have you heard anything from him since? Um, you know, I think he's an R&B singer, and I think he actually probably does pretty good uh, off of that. So um, if you play the R&B clubs, you probably do pretty well. I'm speaking with Josiah Sloan. You can find his restaurant in Saratoga at com. It's S-E-N-T-S-O-V-I. What does Sovi so it's two things. Uh, in ancient Catalonian, the rough translation is sweet taste, but it's actually the title of a, a medieval cookbook um, that was recently translated into English uh, as an academic work. Really interesting book. It's interesting. Um, when I went to your restaurant, I was, you know, um, one of the times I came, I came with Dan Rysanowski from the San Jose Sharks. Great guy. Great guy. And you actually have a great story about him that we'll save for the next break. Um, it involves, I think, a pig in his backyard. And we'll leave it at that and see if the story lives up to the expectation. You can find uh, com. It's in Saratoga. The website's the easiest way to do this, S-E-N-T-S-O-V-I.com. We're going to be talking about agriculture. We're going to be talking about sustainability, local food, the trend. People under 35 want fresh. What's that mean from an investment angle? What's that mean from a restaurant angle? Take a break. Be right back. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm speaking with Josiah Sloan, chef, owner, since of a restaurant in Saratoga. It's eight letters, S-E-N-T, S-O-V-I. It's one of the greatest meals you'll have in your life. It's one of the things that I like about the Bay Area, um, and I chose to come to the Bay Area, and one of the reasons I chose it was restaurants. And you and I were talking during one of the breaks, Josiah, about like um, the importance of restaurants in communities. It kind of revitalizes them, um, as does school districts, as does the weather. But people sometimes will say, I want to live in that city because they've got great restaurants. They've got a great European feel. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a huge quality of life um, issue. I mean, I spent, uh, spent time, you know, I lived uh, about three months in New Orleans, but I wasn't in New Orleans proper. And, you know, one of my biggest complaints where I was is there was no good restaurants. I mean, there was good Cajun food and good po'boys, but beyond that, you know, there was no real compelling, interesting restaurants that I liked. 
I think restaurants can tell you a lot about a community. Um, I live in a city that used to be very blue collar and now it's very white collar. And part of that renaissance has been with restaurants. Uh, we have a restaurant that's just pastrami only. All they do is pastrami. And I'm like, how do they stay in business? And there's, it's unique enough that people will support it almost unconditionally. Yeah, and I know, I know the restaurant of which you speak. They make good pastrami. Isn't that strange to you that like a restaurant can survive off that one angle? Yeah, I mean, but if, but if you look back, I mean, my dad's from Montreal, okay. and you know, you go to Montreal, you know, smoke meat um, is is a big thing there, and it's sort of a, their version of pastrami. I think it's better than pastrami. Once you've had smoke meat, it's it's you know, it's game over. But you know, there's a place there, Schwartz's. Uh, it's a it's a it's legend, and uh, you go there. They open. I think eight or nine in the morning, they close at midnight. And if you go during, you know, within an hour of any major meal time, there's a line down the, down the block. If you come with three people, they're sitting you at three different tables because those are the seats that are available, and uh, they serve smoked meat. You can get it as a stacked up on a platter. You can get it uh, as a sandwich. Um, I love that idea. And and they have about three other things on the menu, and apparently. About 20 years ago, they started serving French fries, and there was some of the purists were up in arms. You know, how could you start serving French fries here? So I'm Generation X, and I think the big difference between my generation and the baby boomers who are above me is they grew up on Budweiser, Bud Light, um, Coors. They grew up on American beer and a drinking American way, red, white, and blue. And then I got introduced to craft beer, and I kind of fell in love with it. Which brings me to the conversation of, I met someone who's younger than me, and all she has in her fr- freezer is, you know, alcohol. I was like, where's your frozen food? Where's your fruits and vegetables? Where, like, and she buys everything fresh, which is one of the reasons I reached out to you recently. And I said, let's talk about this trend of younger people liking fresh food. Um, it's being reflected in Chipotle Mexican Grill, 52-week high on the stock. It's up 500-plus percent in the last three years. Um, are you seeing any of that kind of data that I'm throwing out there that younger people now just demand better food. Absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the interesting things is in in a lot of cases they're willing to spend a higher proportion of their disposable income on good food. You want to hear crazy? 7-Eleven now um, does good wine. They stock good wine because they want that person who's 25 years old to stop in. They know they're going to go for the better um, wine versus the 7.99 wine. Yeah. Kind of crazy. Well, I mean, the you know, the wine business in California is huge, and we're right in the middle of it. Let's talk a little bit about what you're saying. Um, you're in Saratoga, and it's the foothills of Santa Cruz Mountains. You said that's good wine country. How is that possibly good wine country? And is, isn't everywhere good wine country now? Because now you do wine in Virginia. Like, areas that weren't good wine country now suddenly are good wine country. With global warming, there may be some new new good wine country. Um, so I think Santa Cruz Mountains, the wine appellation, is sort of vast. It spans from um, San Mateo all the way down to uh, basically Coralitos, which is Watsonville. Um, so it's a pretty vast appellation. Um, Napa's a little bit easier to understand because it's sort of one valley, whereas the Santa Cruz Mountains Appalachian spans this big, you know, ridge of mountains. But, you know, within the Appalachian, you have some world-class wines. You have the Ridge Montebello Vineyard. You have the Catherine Kennedy Vineyard. Um, some great Pinot uh, Noir producers over on the coast side. I think one thing uh, sort of to the detriment, then in Saratoga, a lot of local producers, Cooper, Garrett, and, and whatever, who have been, 
growing wine for a long time, um, it's a vast appellation, so there's a lot of different microclimates. There's a lot of different varietals being grown. There's some good uh, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, kind of cooler climate uh, vineyards, and there's some uh, warmer spots where Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, things like that uh, grow well. So Napa is really easy to, to, as a whole to market Napa because it's, it's warm climate for the most part. They grow a lot of cab. It's really easy for people to understand. Uh, Santa Cruz Mountains a little bit more nuanced, a little bit uh, more microclimates, different varietals being grown. This is one of the reasons I dig you as a person, Josiah Sloan, San Sophie Restaurant, um, is you talk. You have no shortage of words. Uh, came into your restaurant once, and uh, you kind of like little. You went from table to table, but you spend twenty to thirty minutes at a table sometimes talking about where the wine is from, how you picked it, what it's all about, how fresh it is. You told me a story about a goat, and I've retold the story numerous times. You're like, yeah, I got a goat up in Portland, and I need to figure out what to do with it. Because as a chef, you use every single piece of that goat, and it's a fresh goat, and you're like telling me, yeah, fresh goats are coming back, and it's fascinating to a non-foodie. I mean, I, I love food, but you know, you have the knowledge of that. Talk a little bit. Give me a little fresh goat angle. Yeah, I mean, goat's an interesting thing. So I worked in, I told you earlier, I worked in the Caribbean. I worked in Jamaica for a year and a half, and uh, goat is kind of a national, goat eating, goat cooking is sort of a national pastime there. So I really got into cooking goat because uh, the first thing that happened when I went to Jamaica was I wanted to have lamb, but they don't have lamb in Jamaica, and you get some sort of poor quality imported lamb, but there's goats all over the place. So I started working with goats, and I just loved it, butchered them down. Uh, But if you get a goat, you get a goat, whole goat. And it starts with goat steak? Well, I mean, Jamaicans with goat stew? I mean, Jamaicans take the whole goat and basically stew it, but I started messing around with, you know, rack of goat and stuff like that. The owners of the uh, hotel that I was working for thought I was totally insane, but... You are kind of totally insane, and you're a smart guy. I could, just looking at you, I could see the processes going through your head. Um, You know, I had a goat. I had to figure out what to do with it. Yeah, and so so basically you need to break it down and figure out, you know, what cuts you can use for what, and yeah, it starts with goat chops and ends with goat sausage, basically. Um, You know, and whatever... Cuisine you uh, you know choose to apply to that's that's up to you. But how many restaurants would you say in the Bay Area are doing what you're doing, Do, going after sustainability, going after quality, organic, using everything that they can? I think a lot of them are, especially on the you know middle to higher end. Okay, it costs money to do that. You have to be able to charge for it. And things sometimes aren't cheap, but you get what you pay for, especially in the world of food. Absolutely. You can find Josiah at Sintsovi.com. It's S-E-N-T-S-O-V-I.com. We're going to take a break here. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the Dan Rusinowski pig story. We're going to talk Gene Burns. We're going to talk millennials. And if you want to drop me a question, rob at robblack.com.
Bob Black and your money on AM 1220 KBOW. So I'm speaking today with Josiah Sloan. I'm wildly happy talking with him. Um, I've been in his restaurant numerous times, and he comes out and he talks food. And the things that come out of his mouth, I find to be nuggets of gold. Um, some of them I've reused. Um, during the break, we were just talking about yeah, restaurants, and I told him there's a restaurant, and I'm not going to say the name, in Half Moon Bay, where they literally go to Costco, get burgers, unwrap them, microwave them, and serve them. And I was like, does that ring true to you? And he's like, yeah. And, he, you know, he says a couple things, and he says, food's not cooked at most restaurants. It's assembled. No, it's totally true. I went to a... a well, wait, wait, I want you to say that phrase, because that is a beautiful phrase, and I want to capture it again. Yeah, most at most chain restaurants, there's very little cooking going on. It's more reheating and assembly. Same with fast food. What's that mean? It means the food you're eating was manufactured at a plant somewhere in New Jersey or somewhere halfway across the country. Developed by a team of food scientists and uh, product development people. One of the interesting angles on that, and Brandon, um, give me a little bit of that audio that I asked you to pull a little bit earlier. Let's see. I had you watch this commercial, and I don't think you've seen this. Yeah, I watched it when you come. And it's, it's spooky and it's haunting. And it's using something from our childhood, a song that we know and love from Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. You know, the Chocolate Factory, and you're talking about Food Factory. And Chipotle put this together, um, basically saying, you know, your food is manufactured. And they're showing cows basically being manufactured burgers. It's a haunting video. And it's probably... Would you say food's haunting? Food haunting. I mean, I think food connects with you on the most uh, deepest levels, you know. all of, It engages all of your senses. So, yeah, food can definitely be haunting. I'm a money guy, so sometimes I don't get the emotional ties. Um, like, I once went on a Forbes show, a Fox show on Forbes, called Forbes on Fox, and the old anchor, he's, he's an editor for Forbes, Jesse Eisenberg or Jesse somebody, he asked me, like, what's your favorite restaurant? Or what's your, no, he said, give me a stock pick. And I said, P.F. Chang's. Um, and he yelled at me. He's like, there's no shortage of Chinese restaurants in America. And I was like, this isn't a Chinese restaurant. It's P.F. stands for Paul Fleming, great steakhouse in New York. Um, it's manufactured American Chinese. And, like, I'm almost meeting you halfway in this conversation because as a, it was a great investment. They would open up restaurants across America that were American enough that you didn't have to eat a pig's foot to feel that you're getting Chinese and Chinese opulence. and it, But it's all fake. It, none of it's Chinese food. Right. I mean, you got to understand there's a difference between uh, Chinese food and Chinese-American food. So, I li- you know, I live down in the South Bay, so we have Cupertino and Milpitas. And, uh, you know, I've spent many, many a meal going to Chinese restaurants there where you would not recognize any of the food you know, from the beef and broccoli, sweet and sour pork uh, of your youth or or whatever. Uh, on the other hand, so I love that food, this regional Chinese food, learning, you know, all the different regions and styles of food. And you're talking about a country of, what, 1.2 billion people or whatever. You're going to find a huge diversity of food. But some, sometimes, to remind me of my childhood, I just want to go eat some beef and broccoli <laughs> and some chow mein, you know. I do something that's hilarious. Every time I order beef and broccoli, I say beef and broccoli, no broccoli. And it always gets them. It, it always sets up for the confusing five-minute conversation of what? 
So you just want beef. I just want beef. <laughs> it's, it's, and you get the joke, I think. Um, so let's do the Dan Rusinowski story. Uh, yeah, I was over at his house. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Dan Rusinowski, San Jose broadcaster, San Jose Sharks, 98.5. Voice of the, the Sharks. San Jose Sharks. Right, and he also does auto racing and things. But anyway. And a comes, great guy as well. Great guy, great wife, comes into your restaurant. He does. And now it's at San Jose Sharks story. So, well, I almost said his tree on fire barbecuing. He, he said, hey, you want to come over? I think we were actually grilling lamb racks. He said pork, but I think it was lamb racks. And, you know, he had invited me over and drinking wine, grilling. He had... Uh, and, uh, and his barbecue was under a tree, and I, I don't think he saw this. He might not know about this story. but uh, So, yeah, I, I open up the barbecue, and I don't barbecue a lot, but um, I open up the barbecue, and all of a sudden there's eight feet of flame shooting out the top of it, and uh, there's a tree right above it, and I, I'm using my towel to bat the tree to make sure it doesn't start on fire. So you almost burned down Dan Rusinowski's house. Uh, could have happened. When you were there, who was who, who were the guests? Uh, when he throws a party, who does he invite? You know, it, it was just small. It was, it was okay. his wife, my wife, uh, and I think one of his neighbors. Okay, because I just imagine him hanging out with Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe and all the sharks. And yeah, that's what he does for a living. Okay. I mean, I don't know. He probably, possibly he does, but that time it was just one of his neighbors. And It's interesting that I got to know him because um, I do a money show. And for a couple of years, I would have him come on the show and talk about what's happening with sharks because I love hockey. I love food. I love hockey, too. Right? And you want to share your passions. And that's kind of our conversation here, Josiah, um, Chef at uh, Sansevier. How did you get – how were you able to quit what you were doing and be a chef? Because one of my fantasies is to, like, open a bed and breakfast and just do scrambled eggs. Like, I'll do the bed and breakfast. I'll do the business. I'll have the someone else do – all the cooking, but I want to do the, the breakfast. I want to do the eggs, per se. Are you going to raise chickens also? I would like that. Um, you know, when you do with money, you burn out. And I've done everything I've needed to do. I've hit every milestone. But a bed and breakfast would be fun. Or maybe a brewery. Yeah. Um, they're, they're rising in popularity. Um, wh- what do you see in that movement? Every major... The Russian River, people talk about taking their growlers there and getting them refilled. Um Every major brewery that I see open in the Bay Area it seems to be wildly supported. People like fresh beer. Yeah, so we, I mean, in terms of up until about, uh, I don't know, three or four years ago, we um, were definitely a wine-oriented restaurant. Sure. But um, about three, four years ago, you know, we were serving, I guess, good beer like Anchor Steam and just sort of normal beers that people would ask for if people were. I also served Red Stripe because, you know, I worked in Jamaica, Jamaica so... Just mainly, I probably end up consuming two-thirds of it. But um, about, about three, four years ago, we decided we were going to upgrade our beer selection. So we're, all our beers are European, but they're kind of higher-end European, Belgian, French, German uh, beers. And we sell probably three or four times more beer now than we did a few years ago. Um, hugely popular. Um, and people are willing to – I think part of the difference is people are willing to pay for good beer now. I mean, some of the good beer is not inexpensive. It's a $10 – $12, $8 glass of beer. And if people are used to a, you know, 5 or $6 bottle of beer at a bar, it's, it's a whole different whole different thing. An angle that I keep coming back to again and again is that the trend. Um, I had a co-host on television named Cheryl Cassani where she would go to Whole Foods every single day and she would get a lunch every single day at Whole Foods. And most of her meals were Whole Foods. And they're known for organic and fresh and locally sourced. Um, that's not going away, is it? No, I mean, I think I think that trend is definitely here to stay. I don't think it's a trend. I think it's just people are becoming aware of 
where their food comes from, how it's produced. And, um, you know, I have sort of mixed feelings about Whole Foods. I actually, you know, I go grab a sandwich at Whole Foods and stuff. Um, and I, I think I think it's great. It's a great alternative. Um, you know, you have to start wondering when you get to the scale um, that they are, um, the difference between, you know, there's organic and there's organic. Um, there's a big commercial organic, and then there's, you know, the guys, uh, you know, where, where the farming techniques they're using are very similar to large commercial agriculture, but they're using organic pesticides, and they're, you know, supposedly organic. And then there's the small guys that uh, are composting and encouraging a rich uh, rich sort of ecosystem within their soil, and that, that's a different sort of organic. And, uh, you know, I think to understand the difference in the quality, you have to go talk to some of these guys. You have to experience this produce, and it's kind of the next step beyond organic, but because of lobbying and government regulation, the sort of genre of organic has become pretty broad. Walmart has run into some problems selling, quote-unquote, organic foods. That what, Is there a standard for organic? Do we need a standard for organic? There are government standards for organic, and they were lobbied heavily by the processed food industry or by big agriculture. Big agriculture. Let's talk a little bit about the companies. Um, are you for it? Are you against it? Does it have its place? Uh, should we... No, no, I think big agriculture. I mean, you need to feed the nation one way or another, and, you know, sort of the sad um, or the reality of the situation is we have a you know nation of 300-plus uh, million people, and uh, we need to be able to produce enough food to feed everyone. I think the idea of everybody just, you know, returning to a small family farm and living out in the countryside, that's just not going to happen. So uh, I think there are more small and medium-sized farms that are, uh, figuring out niches that they can fill, you know, sort of specialty products, and, and they're doing very well as a result because they're never going to be able to compete head-to-head on a, you know, big potato grower who's, you know, just cultivating russet potatoes by, you know, thousands and thousands of acres at a time. One of the things you brought up, again, during commercial, you give me some jewels during commercial. You're like, European refrigerators are half the size of American refrigerators. That's a fact. Would we be better off if we went with smaller refrigerators? In your mind? Absolutely, because I think it would create uh, – I think it would create demand for people to, you know, purchase smaller amounts of food more often and be more concerned with the quality of what they're buying. Where would you shop if you were a shopping man for your own food as a bachelor? Farmer's Market. Farmer's Market? Yeah. Local Farmer's Market that comes to town every Saturday or something like that? Yeah. Can you get meat at a farmer's market? Absolutely. That just shows you how ignorant I am. Yeah. Isn't that fantastic when no, I'm, it's... like, that stupid? Well, you're not stupid. Like, I think of a farmer's market, I like big turkey leg. <laughs> that can't be good for you, right? Probably not. Speaking with Josiah Sloan, one more break coming up. Stick with us. You can find him at sentsovi.com. That's S-E-N-T-S-O-V-I in Saratoga. Listening to Rob Black and Your Money 
on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. Little Lords bringing us back from break. This is a fantasy day for me because I get to talk food and you can clearly see that I'm a wannabe. I'm sitting across from Chef Josiah Sloan. You can find him at Sentsovi, Sentsovi, S-E-N-T-S-O-V-I. I highly recommend it. I don't recommend it on Valentine's Day. I don't recommend it on Christmas. I recommend it. No New Year's. Find a nice slow Wednesday night when you can go for a nice long meal and uh, enjoy the hell out of it because um, I certainly have. Um, you brought up a concept again during the commercial, and I'm hating you for this. Um, CSA boxes. What's a CSA box, and why should I care? Well, so it's something you would uh, subscribe to either from a specific farm or from a group of farms or some other organization. And uh, you know, you you get a box of vegetables every week. Some of them include meats and other things uh, from some of the farms. You know, eggs, cheese, whatever, um, dairy. But, uh, you know, instead of going to the farmer's market, uh, they pack it up for you and you either pick it up at a drop-off point or they deliver it to your doorstep, depending on which one you, which one you subscribe to. There's a lot of them out how do you, there. How do you find them? The Googles and the Internet. Okay, CSA boxes. Um, cooking tip for me. Um, one of the best tips I ever got in my life was use fresh um, herbs, use fresh spices. Um Agree with that statement? Disagree with that statement? Absolutely. I mean, herbs and spices are great. I'm more of a spice guy than an herb guy. Um, a lot of chefs are into herbs. I like herbs. I use We use herbs. We grow herbs at the restaurant. Um, I love spices. It's kind of like, you know, just adds another layer of complexity to your food. I work with a lot of spices. We're going to come back to this, but did you know, and um, one of the investments out there is McCormick. Um, they basically dominate the spice market delivery system in the United States. Um, back in the 1950s, America, 1940s, 50s, we had like four spices in our cabinet. And then in the 70s, we had like 20 spices. Now today, the average American has about 60 to 80 spices in their kitchen. Kind of crazy. Like, um, I don't know what that tells us, but it tells us something. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, there's now access to a lot of blended spices. I mean, we make all our own spice blends, but, you know, every time I go to the grocery store, they have, you know, six different sorts of curry and, like, all kinds of other, you know, blended spices. So I suspect that that's a, a big part of the market. Do you realize that you are fascinating? You said the phrase, I'm more of a spice guy than an Arab guy. Like, no one says that stuff. That's well, true. So I dig it. Um, how do you make your own spices? Like, I can't even imagine the process. It sounds time-consuming. Well, I mean, no, I mean, so part of it is sor- is sourcing the spices. Uh, I have a few different vendors I use, one of which is a company out of San Francisco called uh, La Sanctuaire. It's owned by some, um, the owner or the owners are, they're Indonesian, and their uh, family back in Indonesia owns a pepper plantation and grows some other spices. So some of the spices that they carry are uh, farm direct, and some of them they source uh, elsewhere. But, um, you know, making spice blends that we can use in the restaurant. It's a lot of, you know, toasting and grinding and weighing and measuring. You know, we use it, get a good digital scale if you plan on blending a lot of spices, you know. Good good tip, good tip. And the other tip, you know, for grinding spices, you can use a coffee grinder. It works fine. Uh, or if you're, you know, if you're making larger quantities or more serious into it, uh, for your KitchenAid stand mixer, there's something called a grain mill. And it's great for grinding spices. It's supposed to be for grinding grains to make flour. And you can tell the difference between packaged spices versus fresh spices. Absolutely. I mean, and freshness is an issue with spices. Uh, you know, we vacuum pack what we're not using, for instance. Very cool, very cool. We talked a little GMO during the commercial break. What is GMO? Why do we care? 
uh, we're talking about genetically modified organisms. So, um, you know, uh, basically, you know, big agriculture, they want to maximize their yields. Uh, you know, if you're planting a thousand acres of corn, the more corn you can get out of that, the, you know, more profitable it is. So a lot of these, um, you know, GMO crops have been developed to increase yields and, uh, you know, as a put push forward uh, within the regulatory structure uh, of America to make them, uh, you know, more prevalent in our food food supply. And, you know, my background is in science. I think uh, definitely, you know, there's some concerns about how does it affect us. You're, you know, splicing DNA and thing and eating it um, compared to historically, uh, the way you would make crops grow better in certain areas or whatever is just through selective breeding, um, pollination. That's sort of a natural way to um, modify a crop rather than going to the DNA level and splicing DNA. Sometimes on the show, again, I, I use you a lot during the show, I'm talking about some of the, you know, he gets to know you, he's, he's out there. But um, I talk about McDonald's, and I'll say things like, in this day and age, it's almost... Um, child abuse to take your kid to McDonald's. Like, if you're under 35 and you take your kid to McDonald's, other moms look at you like, you did what? What? Yeah, so, I mean, I have a 16-month-old, and my you know, my wife and I have talked about this. You know, my plan, I haven't eaten fast food in probably seven or eight years. Um, but, you know, I'm sort of a pragmatist. I'm sure at some point my son will eat McDonald's because one of his friends will be having a birthday party and going to McDonald's, so I'm not going to forbid him from eating it, but what I want to do is teach him the difference between, you know, good, healthy, freshly cooked food versus McDonald's, and hopefully his choice will be that he wants to eat this good tasting food rather than McDonald's. Well, I'm counting on that because I invest in things like Chipotle Mexican Grill, which they're doing this fresh, local, organic angle, and I don't know if you know this, but they're now spinning that business model off of Mexican, organic, fresh, local, uh, non uh, GMO. Non-GMO and, you know, no crazy things in the animals. They're now doing that with a Chinese restaurant in um, San, in Washington, D.C. and in, in L.A. So the Chinese fresh is coming. Um, they're also doing it with pizza. There's a big pizza chain thing going where it's freshly made in front of you. Um, pretty interesting trend. Absolutely. I think, you know, when you get to that scale, you got to just, you know, I think it's good. So about 10, 15 seconds. Anything you want to plug about Cincinnati? Yeah, www.sensovi.com. Come visit us. What's the best time and best uh, day to get in? Yeah, we're open for dinner only, so just, uh, you know, you can go to our website, make a reservation, and come on down. Good stuff. Thanks very much. Josiah Sloan, chef, sensovi.com. Eat great food. This is great food. Opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. A division of Salem Communications on the NASDAQ at SALM. Or CNBC Business. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.